uh, we had the opportunity of interviewing Stephen Louis Simpson, the director of Niederwolf Nordag. My first question to Steve was about his motivation to make this film. Well, the author approached me with the book. Uh, he had seen a movie that I'd shot on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation called Razbaum a number of years ago. Uh, he stumbled on a showing in a, in a cinema near the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation where it was filmed. And uh, so he handed me a copy of the novel and he told me that um, by that point, I think best part of 15 years, some producers in Hollywood had been circling it, trying to get it made into a movie. And uh, they were all failing, just making him grand promises and failing to deliver. And so uh, I took it away, didn't really think much about it. And then um, uh, finally got around to reading it. And uh, it, it, in some respects, it resonated with me because there were some similarities between the protagonist's journey and my own journey. Um, I ended up spending 13 years making a feature documentary about Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And um, so I could relate to this aspect of this character being asked to write this book by an elder. Um, but I could also see what great differences there were between us, particularly the difference I have as a, a European in that environment uh, on the visiting the reservation and how different that was to the awkwardness of, of this white American guy going there and then that really gave me a great access point to to the character and the dynamics how did you work on the main character on developing the main character in the film well in a sense it's it's kind of an interesting film in, the, in that it revolves around the author as a protagonist but in a sense he's not the main character he's a a foil to take you into uh the character of dan the lakota elder played by dave bald eagle and sort of and everything revolves around him in this film and so that's really the um the focal point of it and, and one of the interesting things in translating it as a novel into a film was that thing of taking it away from being a first person narrative in the head of the characters and uh and and sort of creating this sort of fly on the wall situation so there's a sort of big perspective shift in that but also creating you know, more of the interplay dynamics, the sort of thing I was talking about, about the awkwardness of the character in that environment. And, um, but, but creating the elder as a character for me was quite easy other than the casting. Cause one, the moment we had Dave Bald Eagle, uh, we could barely put a foot wrong because everything he gave us was perfect. And he was sort of our guiding light with that. And there were times where we threw away the script because we felt that there were times where things were too contrived and he improvised the sort of particularly the climactic dialogue at Wounded Knee and took it to a, to a realm that it couldn't have gone otherwise. And, and it's interesting because it's a fictional film, but it's inspired by some real experiences. Uh, but the climax of the film, it's like snapping into Dave Bald Eagle's life because in the scene that we're there when he's improvising it, he's truly just pouring out what is in his own heart. And at the end of filming it, he said, I've been holding this in for 95 years. And this is him talking about the massacre of his people at Wounded Knee. And he and his own family background was closer to that than even the character he was playing. So it was a very unique situation. And it was one that, uh, you know, it sort of blurs the lines, not even between a fictional film and a documentary, but something even more transformational than that, because the audience were literally there at witnessing this man's extraordinary this extraordinary moment in his own life and we experience it in a very intimate close-up 
and one thing which is about this film is that I find it very timely piece because at a time that everything is so uh, going in a crazy way in our country, um, this is telling us about which direction we really should take and uh, just referring to our hearts and to the nature and all that. So did you have in mind when making this film? Well, uh, you know, to me, that's just true to the character. And, you know, it's interesting when you're going into a subject and you're dealing with characters of, of a you know different culture to your own, um, and that goes to every character in this film. Um, the, you know, a lot of people sort of look at it and, and, and sort of analyze the perspective on it in terms of cultural depiction, which I, I think is sort of the, the wrong way to look at it. I, I think... Uh, the crucial thing is always making sure you're true to your characters because, you know, your characters will reflect their cultures, but that's only an aspect of them. There's many more, you know, aspects to them than that. And, um, and it sort of interests me how so many people break down and simplify that. You know, they, when people look at the film and make it, they react like this is my view of white, Lakota or Native American and a wider scale relations, whereas it's nothing to do with that. For me, it's these type of individuals, this sort of particular white liberal academic type guy who's very much in his head uh, next to a very, um, you know, powerful, thoughtful, funny, uh, kind elder who's had an extraordinary life and experience. And um, how did you go about uh, visual style of your film? Well, the, the, the crucial thing is, I mean, apart from anything else, it was a film that was shot incredibly quickly. It was about 125 shooting hours over about 18 days, but the days weren't very long because we have a 95-year-old star. And even then, some of the scenes we had to shoot for quite a long time because, you know, the elder had a lot of dialogue, and sometimes it would take a long time to shoot those dialogue scenes. Uh, and then there wasn't much time to shoot the dialogue scenes with other characters, so we would shoot some scenes incredibly quickly. Like, there's one scene which is about six pages, which we filmed in about 20, 25 minutes, and that's from sticks down to sticks up. And uh, so, you know, you have to make your choice. And the key with any film is making sure that you understand the shape and the rhythm of it, and that you go into each scene understanding what the energy is. And so we have a lot of scenes where the characters are very much placed within nature and nature is the dominant force there. But then there's a lot of times where we're in there in their interior space. And, you know, the shot, the scenes are 100% shot with close singles and the characters never inhabit the same frame. Um, you know, the only scene to me in the film that's really conventionally constructed is the scene where they all part at the end because in a sense we've gone away from this compressed point we're now more back kind of in the ordinary world they're no longer testing him and um or even sort of the the moving camera shots there's i think three four steady cam shots in the film and you know each one has to you know go with a very particular energy where things are a little more dislocated or that sort of thing but you know very often it was just the one shot for the whole scene and it just was making the choice that they all balanced each other out as the film went along how did you work with your actors the situations really help a lot 
Um, you know, for example, there's, you know, the two very dramatic dialogue scenes later in the film. And, you know, it, in a way that there was very little acting in it. It's just so real. I mean, when Dave Bald Eagle is saying those words, uh, you know, Richard Way Whitman is, you know, reacting with such depth and focus and emotion. And when Christopher Sweeney is hearing these sort of words for the first time, uh, again, he's just, I mean, you know, we were feeling that off camera. Uh, if you, I think, put a camera on the, on the, the face of the, the, the two or three of us that were behind the camera, you, we'd, have, we'd have all had similar expressions. And so um, I think the situation, one of the nice things about the film was that we all were there to support Dave Bald Eagle. And so the supporting actors and the, the co-stars kind of put themselves to the side. Nobody, there were no egos at all or anything like that and they weren't even so immersed in their own performance from a self-conscious standpoint it was even the performances while they were in the scenes energetically it was their uh revolving around dave and i think that created a, a great dynamic with it but you know at the end of the day it was shooting incredibly quickly and you know roseanne supernaut for example who plays the the two granddaughters she has one dialogue scene the one I was mentioning where it's about six pages and, you know, we had one wider shot and then one closer shot. And most of the scene is the closer shot, two takes, and that's it. And it's a, it's essentially a monologue. And there's, you know, you'll see some great monologues on screen, but in, typically there'll be the sixth take, the eighth take, or that sort of thing. And for, you know, an actor really to have one choice uh, and what you see on screen is from that uh it, there's not a lot of people that can pull it off the way she did. And there was no time to run through it in advance. I mean, you know, she was well prepared. She sat down, we rolled, and that's what you see on screen. Um, when you shoot this fast, there's nowhere really for the performances to hide that much. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of bigger films where you'll see performances that look great, but they're really edited together. Um, you know, we didn't really have the option in this one, for the most part, to edit anything together. Your decision to self-distribute the film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very daring and interesting uh, way. And I think it should open the way for a lot of filmmakers uh, who haven't done this uh, to consider self-distribution. What do you think? You need to have a film the audience is going to fight for. And the audience does fight for this film. It's also an astonishing amount of work. You know, we've had roughly 100,000 tickets sold on this film, which is, you know, more than a lot of the big award-winning films around the world. Um, and if you look at it, for example, between Minnesota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, and Washington, you know, states that make up about, I don't know, six and a half percent of the U.S. market. Um, but if it was the art house market, maybe three percent or something like that. We've been in 120 cinemas in those few states. Um, and you know, that is because that's, you know, we've got a very, very strong audience in a certain region that Hollywood distributors, New York distributors completely ignore. Um, the reality is that independent film distribution is a mess. Uh, this, the relationship between the, the, the distributors and the cinemas is kind of quite locked in. Um, it's not a very open market for filmmakers or other people to, to come into and cinemas, and that needs to change because 
you know, we make cinemas really good money, especially on quieter nights of the week. And that is the way cinemas need to go. They need to, instead of locking up a cinema for, you know, and, and the problem is we have situations, for example, when in a two screen commercial cinema in Illinois, we open next to Tomb Raider. We beat Tomb Raider every single night of the week. We're almost sold out on the night, the last night, but they get the second week and we don't because the distributor has forced that contract upon them. And there's so much protectionism within the business um, that makes it harder and harder for independents to get in there. But we do make cinema's money when films like this work. But for most films, it wouldn't work because you need to have something distinct. You need to have an audience that will gravitate to it. I mean, for example, in certain parts of the country, some of the Christian films do very, very well because they've got a locked in audience that they know how to market to. Um, the key thing is you have to know how to how to access your audience to bring them in. Uh, so, but you know, I would say that it's been vastly more money, uh, more much more time to distribute the film than making the film. Uh, the the making of the film was a breeze in comparison to distributing it. And but at the end of the day, you know, when they say five thousand features submitted to Sundance each year, or whatever the figure is. The majority of those films, I mean, you're lucky if 100 will ever be heard of in any shape or form, and probably 20 of them will be seen by, you know, tens of thousands or into hundreds of thousands or the rare ones into the millions of people. So, uh, you know, you're talking about maybe 4,900 films a year that will barely ever be seen. And um, so, you know, there needs to be a different mechanism, but I don't think most people are prepared to put the work in. But the way I look at it is, I'd rather put it work in now and know that I have the money to shoot my next film than spend the time going around with the begging bowl trying to finance the next film. Um, and then when the next one's done, I have the distribution mechanism in place. And we're in our fourth market right now. We've been in four countries. I'm right now in the UK. Um, you know, we're about 50 cinemas in, in the UK. And, you know, we sold out quite a number of theaters there. Um, and we're getting healthy numbers. And again, it's a similar process. It's slow breaking in, but it starts building momentum once they start seeing your numbers. Um, but we could get in a point where if technology came in, it, it, it's, it's ripe for a disruptor. A, you, know, you could get a Silicon Valley disruptor coming in, coming in and changing cinema distribution in two, three years. And um, because the structure with the technology, in the UK, I, I go into cinemas and I just deliver DCPs via my own cloud uh, if they've got decent internet. And so there's zero cost there. So it's removing it from, you know, the, the expensive structure of delivery as it stands right now. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of techniques that can be done to keep the costs down, but I have a base and a team in Bulgaria. So my cost base is vastly lower than most others for marketing. Uh, if I was based in LA, we couldn't do it because we would, it would just be losing money. Um, so that, you know, there, there has to be a really thought out structure to your distribution plan.